We've been studying and observing trees for hundreds of years in countries all over the world, including Ireland. There's no limit to I suppose, what we need to know, if you like, in forestry. It's a continuous uh, evolving situation. The private forest is quite young in Ireland. We have unique growing conditions. We have a lovely, mild, damp climate that sometimes we give out about, but it really favours trees. So to compare, I suppose, what many researchers would have found out maybe across, say, the UK or Europe, it's useful, but it's very, very useful then to get our own research done. Chagask is our national organisation that delivers research, advice and training in relation to all aspects of Irish agriculture, including forestry. We call it kind of a, a three-legged stool, if you like, that kind of a research training advisory that can work hand in hand. And even at our events, we'd have the likes of Ian down to talk to the farmers or the landowners directly. So that you don't get that very often. Um, so I suppose that's I suppose something, the model that we apply and we think it, it works really well. This is Francis McHugh, forestry advisor with Chogask, who I've met along with Ian Short, who she mentioned just now, Diraj Rathor and Oliver Sheridan, all tree research scientists. We've met at Oak Park Forest in Carlow to hear about the work that they do and how it has impacted on the Irish forestry sector. Well, I think that tree there looks good. That looks like as if it's nice and wider than this one, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can you describe what anything else about? It's tall, it's straight, it does have ivy on it, but I see now that most of them do, so that's probably not indicative of anything, is it? No. I'm picking out what I think are the good trees in an area that's known as the Martelloscope Plot. It's a part of the forest where a training programme takes place that helps farmers identify which trees to keep or to remove during the thinning stages of their forestry management. Ian Short is putting me through my paces. You've selected a good quality tree. Okay. And this one here is a poor quality one. And when you look up to the canopy, you can see the canopy of the tree. There's a lot of competition going on between these two trees. If you look at the canopy of the red one that you selected, the canopy's growing away from the blue one that's next to it. And similar to the blue one, its canopy is growing away oh, from. I see, yeah. Let me have a better look so you can see there's the competition between yeah, so the two one, trees. Yeah. So, um, if you do a thinning, if we were to remove one of these two trees, the other one will benefit. Okay. And eventually that canopy will start to grow out on the side where it's missing at the moment. And, and canopy, why is it good to get canopy then and, and an even canopy? Uh, well, the canopy up there in the, in the canopy of the tree, that's where all the leaves and in this case the needles. Um, are producing all the carbon. So they're, they're taking in carbon dioxide and putting the carbon into the tree. So they're the engine of the tree, them along with the roots. But if you don't have a canopy up there, then it can't take in carbon dioxide, so it's not going to grow, yeah. or it'd grow a lot slower. Okay. So if you've got a nice big canopy on a tree, it's going to be growing, all else being equal, it's going to be growing quicker than one that's got a smaller canopy. Okay. Of the same species. Okay, so this this tree here now with the blue ribbon around it, then so would be would be taken out, 
there'll be more space for this one then to develop to grow yeah. its canopy to get bigger and stronger and thicker which is ultimately what what um what you want in a, in a tree um well it, it really does depend on what your objective is if your yeah. objective is so to produce good e- quality timber uh, maybe to be produce either soil log or if you want to produce uh, biomass or if you want to be sequestering the most amount of carbon then that would be the objective that would be the way to go you, you want the tree to grow as fast as possible mm. but you know some owners may have an objective of they don't really mind just taking out firewood and having firewood if they're leaving behind a lovely habitat for wildlife mm. and then you might be selecting different trees to to leave behind okay. and different trees to take out in this 50 by 50 meter plot each tree has been given a number and its height and diameter recorded, along with its characteristics that make it attractive for other creatures to live in. You're getting a lot of data per tree, and we're lucky, I suppose, to be in a research centre that this is going to be hopefully very accessible to a whole variety of different audiences. I suppose from a forestry development department, we'd be, I suppose, focusing on the forest owner to get them in to just learn how to, just not to be afraid to kind of have an opinion about trees, you know, to be able to assess it, to look at it, to see, okay, is this good, bad, what do I want out of my forest? Um, And then I suppose the reassurance then that if they make some decisions here in a kind of a training uh, environment that they have the confidence then to maybe just have a look at their own trees and be able to kind of create opinions and and I suppose objectives and things about their own forest and what they might want to do. All the data recorded on each tree in the Martelloscope plot is presented to the trainee in an app. So you can click on one of these little icons where the map is showing each individual tree Mm. and it'll bring up all the data for that tree. Then how is my decision supported then through the app? We'll see if we can find this tree. So it's number 229. So um, this tree has... Uh, there's no microhabitats on this tree, according to this data. So What does that mean? So that means um, that there are no holes, there's no dead branches that have dropped off and left crevices for, say, woodpeckers or insects okay. um, in this tree that, that have been visible when the, the assessment was done. Okay. Uh, let's see what else we have on this one. So we have this tree um, has a value of at the moment about thirty nine forty euros um, as it stands. Mm. Now over time, um, if this tree has its uh, competition removed from it, that tree will then continue growing, put on more volume, become more valuable mm. as time goes on. But you do find that the most value of a tree is in that bottom two to three meters generally Um, and you know this one is saying that this has got relatively good quality in the first five meters and you can see that and you know that's why you selected it but the fact that it has no micro habitats that's maybe for from a biodiversity objective yeah that would be something then that maybe might not include yeah i mean that if if your objective was to try and maintain the number of micro habitats then you might take this tree out if a neighbouring tree that this tree is competing with has some microhabitats you want to keep mm. uh, because you want to favour that tree that has the microhabitats. Mm. Uh, but it's all, it's all kind of compromises. There's, there's, there's no real kind of black and white answers. There's these shades of grey in between because generally people don't just have one final objective. They have an objective and then they have some other 
um, secondary objectives that they want to consider in their management as well, which may or may not be monetary objectives. If money makes the world go round, then biodiversity makes the world and money happen. And the more diverse and complex a woodland is, the better, especially in relation to fostering resilience. If you've got different ages within a stand of trees, different species within a stand of trees, it's going to be spreading any risk. So, for example, if um, you had a stand of trees that had a mixture of broadleaves and conifers and ash dieback came in and killed off nearly all your ash, if you've got another three or four species there, that aren't impacted by that, then you're not going to be um, as financially impacted as somebody that had a pure stand of ash. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's partly what resilience is about. Resilience is um, how well something can come back from a perturbation. So if there's been some form of impact, wind damage or a disease or a pest, how well that stand of trees can come back again after that happening. Ian is involved in an EU project looking at resilience in forestry. He's also involved in agroforestry research. I would perceive agroforestry as a form of agriculture. And in forestry, generally the trees are planted to produce timber or to produce biomass. In agroforestry, the trees tend to be planted to produce shelter or shade or fodder or some other benefit that's of benefit to the agricultural enterprise. And oftentimes... The wood that comes from the trees is a secondary objective, whereas often, more often than not in forestry, the wood is a primary objective. He also works in the remediation of broadleaf forests affected by pests and diseases. One of the most devastating diseases to enter Ireland in recent years is the fungus that causes ash dieback disease. In another plot on the Oak Park estate, Dear Ashwathor is working to identify the ash trees that may be tolerant to the disease. He has graded these trees 0 to 6, depending on how well they're fighting this fungal infection. 0 being dead from the fungus and 6, no fungus infection at all. Now, it's very hard to find a totally or 100% tolerant tree. But we do find a lot in these categories like 3, 4 and 5, around between four and five and there are some really tall healthy looking trees if we go at the end of this gene bank and you'll be able to see visually what we have. 15% of the trees that Deeraj is monitoring are showing tolerance and these are located not just in Oak Park but in the likes of the Quilcha managed Castle Morris plot as well. 15% of the total genotypes which are performing quite well and uh, We are going to do further assessment and testing because tree breeding is a long-term process. Mm -hmm. Trees grow very slow and that is why they are accompanied by molecular techniques which will accelerate the selection process. Uh, But there is still time before we can give a solid conclusion that what is tolerant and what is not and to which level of of tolerance. It's his job to select the disease-tolerant trees and breed from them. Research completed so far has identified the genes that carry this tolerance. So there are genes for tolerance, a collaborative project between Chagask and uh, Queen's University London has has happened and there are publications which talk about those genes but there are multiple copies so we cannot just focus on one or two genes and we are working on developing markers 
for those genes and then a simpler diagnostic method which we can do through molecular techniques in the lab we plan to to go ahead with that path mm. so that we can screen multiple copies for a cheaper and much faster uh, way in in the lab Another really interesting research study being done on ash trees is investigations into the relationship between the tree and its microbiome and observing if that relationship plays a role in achieving disease tolerance, like the way it is in humans. Because, as we know, that the microbes which are present in our gut, if they are good microbes, they help us in to digesting our food very well and fighting diseases. Mm. Same for the microbes on the skin because they are the first one to interact with any outcoming uh, pathogen or anything. Mm. Similar thing happens with the trees. So if when we study the microbiome, we can find out which microbes are present and when we do their analysis, we can link them to the families where they are beneficial or harmful and based on that, when we go and start culturing those microbes, we can st still do interaction studies. So say, for example, I found a beneficial microbe through literature and I isolated from this as genotype. But I didn't find the same microbe in the susceptible one which you saw in the very first row. What we can do is we can do interaction studies first of that microbe with the pathogen, which is Hymnocyphus fregginus, the fungus, and see whether it will control the disease progression or the fungal progression within a petri dish in the lab. Mm. And if it does it, what we are going to do is we can use that microbe, inoculate the susceptible genotype and see whether it will become tolerant or not. So there is great potential of these genomic techniques that we can accelerate the breeding and we can develop a genotype which could be susceptible can now become tolerant. Mm. I'm not saying 100% resistant, but the tolerance to the disease or the stress can be improved. And as Diraj carries out his research, he's always making sure that the disease-tolerant trees he selects to breed also carry the characteristics of a good ash tree. It's very important that we have a gene bank which is full of diverse trees, but if we keep on just conserving or narrowing down the genetic diversity and keeping very limited, closely related trees, what will happen in longer term, we might lose the battle against some abiotic or biotic stress. Mm -hmm. The second project uh, which we have is Elmash. We know already that we have lost elms. They are not that visible in our uh, Irish landscape. So what we are doing at the moment, we have our web page on Chagas website and there is specific information related to LMs and the Dutch LM disease. And if anybody has um, LM trees, they can write to the contact given there on the website and we try to go and look at the tree and collect samples from there. And when we collect those cuttings, we try to root them and try to rejuvenate the tree or the, again the clonal part comes in here that we multiply several copies for one the molecular screening and second the field testing do you like your work oh absolutely absolutely um when you're working with nature and when you're working particularly with trees it certainly uh, it certainly gives you satisfaction and you can go home at night and think well um you know, you'll feel much more relaxed. Really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oliver Sheridan is another tree researcher in Chagask and he's been working on improving the birch and alder trees. 
he and others go around Ireland to select good, strong-looking trees. With those trees then, we clone them and we put them into a seed orchard. And the seed then will be used to establish progeny field trials and those field trials then will uh, evaluate how good the parents are as as performers. Mm. Okay so you can give like within this um, crop of trees here you can give them a gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal accordingly to how their their children are doing? Based on the, the field trials uh, we should be able to do that yes. Really? Yeah. Yes yeah. yeah so yeah. what generally when we set up field trials we'll put in, put in our controls which would be the the probably the commercial uh, samples that will be available at the time and then we will put in family plots of all our different genotypes that we have here mm-hmm. and then we will evaluate those based on the data that we collect from the field trials. So the poorest performers will be eliminated from the seed orchard but we're also uh, on the quest looking for other I suppose new individual genotypes that we haven't included in this particular seed orchard or gene bank. Mm. So we're all the time on the lookout for individual genotypes that would be uh, superior as well. Mm. We keep adding to the, the collection that we have. Alder do well in damp conditions, don't they? They will tolerate quite a, a range of soils, all right, and particularly poor soils. They're also they can fix nitrogen, so they're a very good companion tree for other species such as walnut, even poplars. They can um, perform very well with those because they fix nitrogen and will benefit those other trees. The leaf litter actually is very high in nitrogen also. So in very poor soils, they can help to improve the soils. Okay. And how are they with regards to timber then? The timber can be used actually. In fact, it's quite a nice timber. It's, it's not a strong timber. It's not used for construction, but it has got good durable qualities. But for furniture, it can be used for furniture. And if you cut down or if you cut um, a cross-section on an alder log, it's white in colour to start with and it oxidises very, very quickly to a rustic rustic, uh, reddish colour, which makes it a very nice nice colour to to observe all right. Mm. And what role do they play now, alder play, in our forestry plantations at the moment? From the mid-90s on, to the mid noughties a lot of alder was planted. Mm. Um, again, um, I suppose those wouldn't have been in the, the improvement programme that we're working on at the moment. Okay. But uh, just to go back to, to what the timber can be used for, apart from furniture, um, it can be used for veneer as well, which would be very lucrative because of its nice uh, colour and grain. Birch also has a whole host of wonderful qualities. Birch wouldn't be really used for construction. It'd be more for veneer, actually. Well, we don't have a veneer industry here, but particularly in uh, abroad now, Eastern and Northern Europe, it would be a good veneer industry for furniture. Uh, in fact, at home now, I have a birch floor at home. Mm-hmm. I have a birch floor. N- nice. It's a light-coloured wood, and I know where there's a kitchen made of birch as well. Mm-hmm. In Finland, actually, they turn it into cellulose to make fibres spun into yarn to make uh, fabric. There's an alternative industry for it now as well and of course in some places from a health point of view the benefits of tapping birch and collecting the sap and as you know there's quite a lot of talk about how beneficial the sap is from birch and they can use the the sap then to make alcohol if they want as well so (laughs) it has plenty of uses Uh, and it's used for paper making as well. The improvement work as it's known as which has been carried out over the last number of years at Chogask on the birch tree has gotten to a more advanced stage compared to alder. Both birch are silver and downy 
were not on the recommended species list for grant and premium from the department and because of the poor form and poor quality poor growth characteristics they were never put on the list but based on the work that we've been doing now for the last 20 odd years um, it means that the department recognised that work and because we have brought the quality of the, the material to a particular standard they have put birch onto the recommended species list so anybody wishing to plant birch whether it be downy or silver at the moment it's downy they can apply for the grant provided that they use the qualified material mm. so it has to be the improved material in order to get the, the grant is it satisfying oliver that like work that you've been involved in has you know started to become integrated now into a main the mainstream let's say absolutely um in fact we got birch to a certain stage now downy birch is at a stage where it's commercialized the seed is commercialized and those plants are available to to farmers and landowners and um it means then that they can plant birch with some confidence that they're going to get quality trees out of it for timber production mm. um, so and then as well as that when you spend a number of years on research it's nice to see it getting out into commerce it is a big decision to decide to change land to, you know over to trees at long term and everything like that so it takes the same amount of investment if you like to plant a you might call a, a bad tree as a good tree so that's where the, the improved trees come in then but this long-term investment you might as well go for you know quality yeah. and a good quality tree that is good quality for timber is also going to take all the boxes for biodiversity and for all sorts of other objectives and carbon and things like that yeah. um, whereas years ago before we had this um, I suppose improved material it really it, it didn't take the box for for timber, potential timber. Farmers have a very strong appreciation of the advantages of trees, what they can do for them. But I would have a lot of, um, I don't know whether sympathy is the right word, but understanding in terms of the markets, trends, and what they're going to be asked to do in relation to different schemes that are around the corner. Yeah. Um, so it is hard to kind of make that decision mm-hmm. in that, envir- that environment, if you like. Yeah. Um, but I think that's, but that's where, where you come in. That's where we come in, and that's where the policy comes in as well. That that different schemes or different enterprises they shouldn't necessarily compete with each other. You know, yeah. we all kind of want the same thing, really. Farms that work well yeah. that are sustainable yeah. that, you know that, that will stay producing good good food and are economical and sustainability is the key word and, and forestry will have a key a key role in that um, so we, we have to keep I suppose in tune with all the other enterprises too to make sure that that happens Trees from seed to sawdust is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine as part of the Woodland Support Project.